Hi, everyone. This is Steve Bowes. I wanted to do a quick intro to today's special edition of the HR Happy Hour Show, which we recorded live at Ultimate Connections event in Las Vegas. In the session, Bill Hicks from Ultimate Software introduces and interviews Trish McFarlane and myself to talk about a wide range of HR, HR technology, and workplace issues in front of a live audience of about 75 or so senior HR leaders from across the country and from across every industry you can think of. It was a really, really great opportunity to talk to HR leaders of all kinds and to share some of the things we think about HR and HR technology and what we've learned from the many years of doing the HR Happy Hour show. So it's a fun session. The next voice you will hear is Bill Hicks from Ultimate Software introducing Trish and myself. And many thanks to Bill and everyone at Ultimate Software for having us out at the event. And I hope you enjoy the show. These two folks I'm about to introduce are the, the ones that do the show, and uh, we thought it would be an awesome opportunity for you to hear some prepare questions, but also do some Q&A of any questions. One of the things that we want to make sure is like, this is an ultimate software conference, right? Well, it's an ultimate software event, but we want to focus on what are, what's going on in the industry, what are the trends, what's out there. So we've invited Trish and Steve to come here and share their insights and their thoughts. So. Um, thanks for doing this. It's an exciting opportunity. So first, this is Trish McFarlane. Um, Trish is the CEO and principal analyst of H3 HR Advisors. Uh, she was a former executive. It was fun to hear like all her background, what she's done. She's been in your role before and then segued herself in being in the analyst space. Uh, she's the author of the popular HR ringleader blog and co-host of the most listened to HR industry podcast, HR Happy Hour. I'm going to say the same thing about Steve. Steve started. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Uh, so also, Trish recently released a 2019 HCM Trends Report, where she and colleagues with the HR Federation identified where the industry is headed. Trish, thanks for being here. We're excited Thank to have you. you. No, this is exciting. Very exciting. Yes, absolutely. And exciting to hear from other um, fellow HR professionals. So I've been out of it maybe six years, and before that I spent almost 20 in your shoes. So very exciting to connect. So love that connection. Now, if anybody's been to HR Tech, um, Steve Bowes is uh, also, he's the ringleader of HR Tech. So if you've been there, this is the guy. He's the program chair. He's the host of the event. Um, excited to have him here because obviously that is an event that does drive a lot of what goes on in the industry, and here's what's happening. Uh, so Mentioned it as well, Steve is started the HR Happy Hour podcast. Uh, he's the co-founder of H3 HR Advisors, sound familiar, and is a frequent author and speaker on human resources, HR tech, and the workplace. Steve also, um, he, the podcast has been going on since 2009. Think about 2009 podcasts hardly even existed. So you're talking about early mover. Talk yeah, about, yeah, first mover. We didn't call it a podcast back then. I didn't even actually know the word then. How did you distribute it? Uh, it was really an online live streamed audio show, essentially, that automatically then fed to all the podcast uh, apps like Apple, Google, all of them, which it still does today. And uh, we are up to episode 418 or something like that. Yeah, That's longevity and right there. I mean, anything, think about a TV show you like and how after 10, 11 seasons it's done. Here, you've been doing it for that long, so congratulations. That's We're exciting. We're coming up on Thank our you. 2 millionth download as yeah. well. 2 million downloads. 2 million downloads so, uh, very yeah. soon. Lots and then, of and then, people out there. And then, fun, then the fun fact, right, you're connected with Alexa now, so you can just 
That is true. We're going to keep talking about the show? I'll talk about this all day. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. No, how, how many use Alexa? Anybody using that in homes? So all right, we're gonna ta- actually, we're going to talk about that in our conversation as well. Yeah. Uh, I have some notes on that. But we did create a couple years ago a version of the HR Happy Hour show specifically for the Alexa device. It's not a full podcast. It's like two, three minutes, quick updates, some comments on the news or things that are happening in the workplace. And uh, super cool. I love it. So, so I, I'm going to pat, pat ourselves on the back for that one, too. That is yeah. good. That's good, yeah. We, we, as we get older in the world changes, we want shorter snippets of information. Um, so uh, the first question is not on the prepared list, but we were just chatting about it. I know some of you, how many in the room are doing any form of, as of this moment, non-essential travel ban or any sort of travel policy around the virus, just by a show of hands? Wow. So that's probably about 50, 60% of the room. Uh, we just got to know we're, we're sending ours out today. Um, we're in the awkward dynamic because we have 400 people here at Connections. <laughs> and the funny part was the last line said, if you are at Connections, you may continue with your travel. So I guess we're not going to be stuck in Vegas. Uh, but so what are you hearing? I mean, it's a big thing. It was interesting when I was on the main stage, actually, I wanted to recognize and acknowledge it. And people kind of laughed when I said it. And I was like, I wasn't trying to be funny. I was like, this is a serious issue. So what do you all think? So for me, definitely having worked in HR for so long, um, and now, you know, Steve and I work together, but he also kind of came up through the ranks in the human resource departments as well. So when we do work now, it is through a lot of events. So we travel from, you know, early March all the way through end of June for sure. And so for us, this impacts a huge portion of just what we do day to day. And so we've been kind of talking about it a lot because a lot of the different vendors in the space or large organizations have not really canceled things yet. And so, but we have to make a decision even as our own business. You know, we've had that discussion of we almost need our own policy of how we're going to attack this. Um, Obviously following things like the CDC, the World Health Organization. Um, One thing I did for us and for our, you know, people that we're close with, that we work with, we've started a Trello board where we track not only some of those that I just mentioned, but also what other companies are we hearing that are having travel bans in place? Because, you know, um, they, you know, when you watch like Google and Facebook and who else is can- Amazon has canceled right. things in the last you know month or yeah. so here. So I think it's it's coming. Um, a lot of people aren't prepared. And when I think back to being in HR where you might have a crisis management plan, it didn't necessarily address this specific type of issue. So really, it's challenging. You need to be thinking about, okay, what does this mean? And what is the financial impact if we cancel travel? And I think it just remains to be seen in each one's sort of individual. But it's absolutely, I think, on everybody's minds that we're talking to. Yeah, I mean, the ball's rolling downhill on this one right now. And it seems to be accelerating, sadly, mm-hmm. right? Um, Quickly. A couple of events that we're associated with uh, just this morning announced that they were canceling. Honestly, Bill, you guys probably snuck this one in under the wire. Mm-hmm. Uh, two more weeks, you, you might have made a different decision. And um, so I think uh, it's likely that more and more organizations, at least for the next, I would say, four to six weeks, are going to be banning non-essential travel as well as canceling internal and external events. I don't think there's any way around that. And the other thing... Uh, that we talked about when we rec- we actually recorded a podcast on this topic the other day was the need to stay as current as possible either through your own organization or through your legal team or your external affairs teams etc because the dynamic is shifting so fast i just read something you know 45 minutes ago about how um, uh, there are more newly reported cases of the virus it's actually not in china any longer like on a day-to-day basis there are more cases new cases being reported in south korea than in china Right, so it's evolving. That may change tomorrow. Tomorrow, that might be Italy, or it may be um, 
somewhere else, right? So the need to stay as current as possible on this is, is absolutely critical. And unlike some other types of situations you might plan for or prepare for, like, I don't know, bad weather or, um, uh, you know, other kinds of things that have a definitive time frame in mind, oh, you know, something's happening that's going to take a week for us to get through. This, it's kind of un- indeterminate duration. Can I add to you, though, one of the things we talked about yesterday, Steve, was sort of the positives that can come out of a situation like this, especially with your technology provider. So if you if you play it out in your mind, obviously you're, you're maybe having a travel ban at first. You might then move to having more people working remote. I've seen a lot of companies, large organizations especially, starting to tell people, you know, don't even come into the office um, right now. So, But if you play that out longer term, if you start having a lot of your employees working remote, from home, they might not want to come back to the office. So as an HR person, this might be a really interesting opportunity to start thinking about, okay, which are the essential roles that need to be done in the workplace? How does that impact us financially um, with our leases and things like that, right? The other thing that you can play out with is on the technology side. You know, be ha- ha- you're, you're in the perfect place, in my opinion, because I would be having conversations with my technology providers, not just my HR technology providers, all of my providers, to say, you know, like in this case, um, you know, you're obviously using UltiPro. Well, when you, when you start with UltiPro, you probably don't toggle every single feature on. Right? Connect with your account manager and say, you know what, um, maybe there's some features that I don't have toggled on, but as I have workers that are now remote, that I might really want toggled on, for example. So it's those kinds of questions. So from a more strategic standpoint, you can be thinking about what can you be doing ahead of the game that your CEO, CFO might not even be thinking about, about the people. Yeah, and I'll make just one more comment yeah. on this from a technology uh, perspective in the conversations I would want to have with my provider. You have a number of essential providers of services and products to your organizations. Certainly among the most essential is payroll, right? I imagine most of you are uh, uh, running here through LTPro. And I don't think it's an LTPro issue specifically, but in general I would say this. I would want to have that conversation. I would want to review my contract. I'm sure there's, there's a, a language in your contracts that talks about disaster recovery, uptime, et cetera, et cetera, service level agreements. You have an understanding of what your provider's plans are in the event of mostly foreseeable kinds of impacts. Uh, so I'd want to talk to them about that, probably. And then the other thing I might want to talk about as well is, depending on your providers and where their development efforts are located, is, hey, is this going to impact potentially roadmap or promise functionality that you may be counting on? So uh, again, I don't think this applies to Ultimate per se, but you may have other providers that have, say, large development organizations in China or in India or in other places that may or may not be more significantly impacted right now by this disease, which is certainly going to jeopardize, I think, some development efforts for those providers. So that's another conversation I think I'd have, too. And I think the interesting thing as well is what I think through is how do you start managing a remote workforce? If your team is all coming into an office, and I correlate that to when companies roll out things like unlimited PTO, and how do managers do things like that? That's a hard thing to manage through. It sounds great in theory to the employee, but the management style, but I think about this, if my team is used to coming to an office and now they're going to be remote, how do I manage to that? So that would be the other thing I would think, too. It's, so, all right. So we announced a couple of weeks ago there's this little merger between Ultimate Software and Kronos. Um, you live in this space. You know the sector. Curious to think about your thoughts of how do you see that going? What are your thoughts around just mergers and consolidation in our industry as a whole? I'll, I'll speak more just to the mergers and acquisitions as a whole, and maybe Steve can tackle the the specifics. So um, my last job uh, as a CHRO, I worked in a company where I think in two years we did six or seven acquisitions. So I mean, how many of you have 
been a part of one, led one. Uh, okay, so that's by the way for podcast okay. listeners uh, hearing the audio. Of this that was everyone in the room. Everyone in the room raised okay. their hand. No, that's good because I think then as the person who's sort of on the receiving end, right, of, of watching this play out you have an understanding of what really can work well and, and maybe what some of the pitfalls are. Um, for me, and, and I will tell you, I had an opportunity yesterday that analysts all got to meet with, uh, with Aaron Ain, who you've all saw, uh, saw on stage. Um, one of the first things I asked him was around culture and how he's, he's approaching that because as an HR leader, that was where I personally, on all the ones I was involved in, saw things falling down. It wasn't so much on the technology side for me. It was around we would bring in companies where maybe we hadn't really thought about the cultures not meshing. And so Aaron shared right away with the analysts yesterday that that is very important. That is like top of mind for him that he will personally be involved in that. So for me, uh, on yours specifically, that was a great relief because we do see a lot of different mergers or acquisitions in the space. That isn't always the case. And I do feel like that's a big area they can have a misstep. Yeah, I'd agree with uh, all of that. I think uh, this particular transaction uh, is interesting, and I think, honestly, I think has a better chance of long-term sustained success than some others in our space because it's, it, 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 it just makes sense a little bit just from a perspective of the strengths and relative strengths of each of the two providers and also the roughly similar kind of footprints of the providers in terms of the size of the company, the revenues, et cetera, et cetera. The products are largely complementary. There is certainly uh, an opportunity, I think, for uh, longstanding UltiPro customers to take advantage of Kronos's essentially market-slash-world-leading workforce management technologies, and where Kronos was certainly a little bit weaker, right, placed in a lot of the strengths of UltiPro. Having said that, right, just because it makes sense on paper, doesn't mean it's going to necessarily be simple or easy to execute and completely smooth. I have a lot of confidence in the leadership teams of both of the companies, right? I've gotten to know them over the years, and certainly you have as well. Um, but these are really, really tricky, right? And I've been involved in a couple on the provider side in our industry that maybe didn't go so well, or, or what ended up happening was the companies were merged in name only, right? And so product lines over here stayed over there, product lines on the other side stayed where they were as well, with not a lot of real dramatic or, or, or meaningful change over a very, very long period of time. If you see that happening in this merger, I, I, it's a little bit of a red flag only because that becomes very, very difficult for the provider to sustain, right? It becomes very, very difficult to have multiple myriad product lines, multiple development groups, making continued investments in older products. That's tough to do over the long term. So again, I'd stay on this really carefully, work with your account managers and the leadership uh, at, the, at the new company, uh, just to make sure things are going in, in the direction that makes sense for, for, for you as your organization. And it's called I Don't Know, remember? Is that That's a, Aaron what? said yesterday. I don't know. He, yeah, what's the company name? I don't know. I was thinking, I was trying to draw an analogy <laughs> to like another industry merger, like kind of equals big companies. And the only one that popped into my head was Exxon Mobil. And I, then I thought, but what a dumb name. Like they couldn't think of another name. Like they, there must have been a million people sitting around in a room for, I hope there's no one from Exxon Mobil here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they probably a spent bath. a ton of money and time and bandwidth, and they walked out of the room with, let's just put the names together. Right. Well, it's funny. We were on a race to have the name for this event, and then we realized, what if we had the name and we had all this marketing material and tchotchkes and banners and things with the old name? And we thought, why are we rushing to do this? It's just like you create your own anxiety in these situations on things that, at the end of the day, it's really not important. The name of the the event, the roadmap. That's now that's important. 
You know, Bill, I think too, it's interesting since almost everyone raised their hand that they've been part of it, you, as the, you know, the ultimate side, or even the Cronites that are coming on, you have a really unique opportunity to work with them to sort of ask best practices, what's worked for you, what hasn't worked for you. So I don't know. I think it could be a really interesting relationship of like inclusion of all of their thoughts as well, you know, since it seems like this group of people kind of stays together and you've had some speed networking and things like that, mm-hmm. it would be just really interesting to well, sort true. of get that perspective longer term as you all are going through it since so many of your customers have gone through it. And we're supposed to be in Boston next week to start those conversations, but yeah. we'll see. But I'm curious to hear what you think about in the industry is this, do you see more consolidation? What do you thought? It seems like it's been a little status quo for a bit. Mm-hmm. There was a big wave, it seems like three to five years ago. But do you see anything coming down the road that you think would, this could be an early mover to that? I do think it goes in waves. Yeah. It reminds me of The Godfather, right? When, the, when he says, okay, every three to five years, we just got to go to the mattresses and have it shake out, right? I think the same thing happens in a lot of technology industries. Uh, I write a column for Human Resource Executive magazine as well about technology, and they asked me to write a little bit about these mergers, and um, I didn't really have anything interesting more to say about it, because two years ago, I wrote a pretty long piece about it when it was the last set of mergers. In fact, Ultimate and PeopleDoc was one of them I wrote about at the time. Um, again, I, th- I think it, it's natural in our industry, right? That it's a super competitive technology industry, largely driven by, and I say this all the time, every time I present about HR to any HR audience, is pretty much today, right, in America, there are more people working, you know, formally, officially working, according to the BLS. There are more people working today than any other day in our history as a country. And tomorrow we'll set a new record. And the next day and the next day, right? Until, the jo- until jobs, if they ever do, start contracting on a monthly basis, which there hasn't really been a sign of that. That is driven com- investment. It's driven development. And it's driven the uh, hyper-competitiveness as well, right? Because there's a, lot, there's a lot at stake here. And I think that drives some of the M&A activity, too. So let's talk about transformation, since that could be something that could drive down hiring and the need for hiring. So what are, just share some ideas or concepts around technology that you think are truly transformational. I think, you know, there are two things. So from a trends perspective, I was always a consumer of trend reports from some of the larger, more well-known companies that, that put those out every year, to some of the small independent analysts, small independent you know, bloggers and writers and journalists and whatnot. And I do feel like a lot of what we see in here is kind of like the same year over year, right? Like everyone's like, hey, did you know that like employee engagement is a big deal? Like it's so transformational, what? right? Have you heard that one? No. I mean, I'm being facetious, but it's like, yeah. So I don't feel like there are big jumps necessarily year over year. But I think if you look over maybe like... Two to, two to three or four years, you start seeing, like, oh, there are some shifts. So, for example, in terms of, you know, Steve and I were talking a lot about how we are seeing it transform. I've seen a lot of transformation around payroll, for example, just in these last, say, three years. Um, I am a super big payroll geek. Like, when I was leading HR in my last job, I was actually over payroll, too, and I was the person that would, like, roll up my sleeves. I wanted to know, if I'm going to sign the checks, I need to know how to run the payroll and, you know, not just buy the technology. So, I've really been watching that carefully, and I think that, you know, you mentioned um, just here at, at um, Connections where, you know, you're not offering, um, you know, pay on a, on a daily basis, right? You can have uh, pay on demand, if you will, through rapid pay. Things like that, you wouldn't have seen that just a few years ago. It wasn't even something that I don't think a new hire would have asked for or an existing employee. That is a huge thing that I think we're going to see more of, right? People just wanting to transform the way that we work 
through the way that we pay people. Um, one of the things I've done a lot of uh, research with other CHROs, VPs of HR like you all, is what would it look like if you were able to model out what pay was. So for me, payroll is always something that's rear view mirror, right? Even if you put it on mobile, that's great. Um, but you're still looking back at what someone did. Um, when you start thinking about workforce planning and, and the technologies, for example, that you're now going to have much stronger, could you actually model pay out? So, for example, one of the roles I had in HR was at St. Louis Children's Hospital. So I worked with a lot of nurses, a lot of hourly people. Well, if they took a shift, maybe it was an ER nurse, but you wanted them to pick up an extra shift in the OR or on the call center. It was at a different pay rate. Could you have a tool that would model that out for them? How does this impact their taxes? So I think it's things like that when you start thinking about what is the future of the way that we pay people? What is the way that we incent people to do different things? I think that's where when you talk with your vendors and providers, um, the development teams, because I've also been, I've worked at a vendor, I've led development um, at a vendor. So that, that was the kind of conversations we were having. Not just how do we keep doing what we're doing and make it look prettier, because I think there's been a cycle of that. So transformationally, I think what's different now, um, that's just one example in payroll where you can really see a different way of approaching it versus just making it look better on mobile. I know, Steve, you've got a couple examples of yeah, I, I, transformation. I'm tempted to want to talk about AI. Right? I, run, I do the HR technology conference, and we'll probably have 500 uh, exhibitors at our conference, probably, uh, HR tech companies. 200 of them will use the words AI or artificial intelligence in their, in their promotional materials or their product names even. But uh, we might talk about that some more later. So I'm going to talk about something different that I've been spending a lot of time on. Uh, as recently as yesterday in a presentation I did, which is learning, uh, and specifically the concept of reskilling, which um, if I had to pick like, one term that's kind of bubbled up on our radar and that we're going to be focusing on through the things that I do with the conferences that I'm a part of and some of the work that we do uh, through the podcast and other um, avenues is the idea of reskilling, right? Preparing people for the jobs uh, that are coming, the jobs that don't yet exist, and, um, and the corollary, which is upskilling, which we used to just call training. Now, we've, now we're calling it upskilling, which is fine. But the idea of, okay, the jobs themselves are changing a lot, right? And we need to prepare people to just continue to be successful in the roles that they have today, which are changing due to the changes in technology. And, and in one of the talks I give, I'll use the quick example, which is marketing manager, right? Probably everybody's organization uh, who's here today has that role. There's probably someone in your organization that does the job of marketing manager. Well, I found a uh, sample job description, like a job posting for a marketing manager from 1999. And then I found, I was doing this late last year, and then I found a, a ton of them, right, in 2019. And I just scientifically using a very deep survey. Uh, survey just, of one. Actually, I just looked at them. But, uh, there must have been half a dozen, maybe 15, uh, uh, up to 15 different skills, capabilities, terms, technologies, et cetera, et cetera, in the 2019 description. Not only that we're not in the 1999 description, but largely did not even exist, right? Search engine optimization might have existed in 1999. You know, heavy data analytic skills, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So the point being is this. It doesn't really matter what the job is. It's quite likely the skills and capabilities that people will need to perform that job successfully are changing, and they seem to be changing a little bit more rapidly than in the past. So how that speaks back to technology Right? I think that there's going to be an increased emphasis and push from uh, folks like yourselves and organizations that you represent back on your providers to 
really uh, work with them to deliver tools and technologies and support that are going to help employees much more rapidly acquire the skills and capabilities that they're going to need. There's not really, um, there's not going to really be tolerance for really, really long training lead curves and you know, it'll take six months for us to figure out how to, how to upskill in a certain category. Uh, so to me, the learning technology space is going to be the most interesting one to watch in the next couple of years for those reasons. And then something we've kind of bounced back and forth on is wellness. Like, do we lean hard into wellness? Do we not? Because it, it feels like if we've asked everybody in the room and what their opinion is, we'll get a different answer for everyone. What are you hearing as far as well-being and wellness being uh, a focus really around transformation? For me, it's interesting. I, you know, I was sort of working in HR when it was truly around medical wellness, me medical well-being. We've seen that really change. Um, from the technology side, I will say I spend probably more of my time doing briefings around things like um, financial well-being. That's obviously a big one. Um, if you think back to maybe like the ERP system, right, and, and people always seemed a little bit reluctant, at least in the companies I worked for. And again, I worked from PricewaterhouseCoopers for about 10 years to healthcare and technology, so a few different size organizations. That always seemed a little taboo. So I feel like the shift has now come with technology so that people are much more willing to look into financial wellness and well-being and advice. Um, I work a lot with the um, Health and Benefits Leadership Conference, and one of the things in talking with a lot of the benefit providers is now around elder care. Um, and some of that that you can actually, you know, give your employees access to, and it comes in very short increments, long increments, you know. But again, I, you know, my parents are are turning 80 this year. Um, it's something we're thinking about, right? So you're starting to think about your employees and how are they how are they dealing with aging parents as well as maybe childcare at the same time because maybe their children are still at home, right? And so it's we're kind of in an interesting spot with our employees, just trying to make sure that we're offering them technology around that. Um, the last one I'll say, which might, I think you probably have even more information than me on, um, is around like therapy, right? So a lot of um, people are having struggles um, internally, right? Um, it's, it's less taboo, I think, than it was before if you're having those struggles to go and, and talk to your employer about getting resources for that. So things like mobile therapy or even, even meditation apps. Um, I use like the Calm app. That's, you know, again, it's just something that you can start doing to give yourself a little break during the day and, and kind of rejuvenate and, and take that pause. Um, I know you've probably done a lot of research around. Yeah, and I'm generally a happy guy. I run the, <laughs> I run the happy hour show. Uh, our old logo had a martini glass in it. We, yeah. we have updated it. Not anymore. But so I'll say something that's not quite so happy sounding. In this wonderful economy that I talked about, where there are more people working today than yesterday and tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera, and people have their pick of jobs and it's hard to find candidates, et cetera, et cetera, there's like something else that's happening too, more generally, you know, in society, which of course that means it happens in workplaces too, which is a lot of people are really struggling, right? A lot of people are having not so great a time of it, right? I did a talk on mental health in the workplace last year, and when I I didn't even really know much about the topic, I must admit. And in doing my research for the topic, some of the statistics I found were staggering. The percentage of people that will be diagnosed with a medical illness or medical, uh, uh, mental health-related condition in a given year is about 25%. About 50% of people get diagnosed with some sort of mental illness-related condition in their lifetime. And that number is it's consistent across all generations. It's not a, like just a, a younger cohort thing or an older cohort thing. And... 
on the financial wellness side, I'm certain you've seen the statistics around the number of people in our country who are not really equipped for uh, a sudden financial emergency that's unplanned. Of, of even just a few hundred or a thousand dollars. That's a very, very high number. Robin mentioned that yesterday. Four hundred dollars could really be difficult for a lot of employees. If you take a Google map, I think this is still true. I haven't done it in a while. If you take a Google map of uh, Las Vegas and surrounds, and you put, you ask for two things on the map: one, Starbucks locations, right? A lot of them, probably, right? There's probably three in this hotel, and then do another uh, search and do uh, payday loan uh, places. And the last time I did this, there were more payday loan stores or whatever they're called than there are Starbucks in Las Vegas, right? That's all one thing to say. Like, the reason I think about that stuff and I talk about it is all these things come into the workplace every day. And those are just two examples. I think it's important to think about deeply, honestly, about what's our organization's relationship, responsibility, position on how we feel about the, the overall well-being of our workforces. I'm not here to tell you you should be paternalistic, say, and be worried about every last thing in the lives of all of your employees. I'm not saying that at all. But I do think these are considerations that are worth thinking about. And it's certainly important, I think, to be aware of them and understand if there are interventions that we can take, either supported by technology or supported in other means through enhanced um, changes in processes or policies or uh, uh, benefits programs, et cetera. I think it's very, very important to think about them. And I'll throw student loan debt on there, too. I forgot to mention that one. That's my third one. Examples are always better when you have three. When you have three. Student loan debt. Well, I think a segue back to what we talked about earlier about the coronavirus is those folks that don't have travel plans or don't have remote worker policies, if you have individuals that are saying... I don't feel comfortable coming into the office. I'm afraid. It segues off of what you just said is having the ability that it's okay to say you're afraid or you're concerned and the organization accepting that. Now, obviously, if you're in manufacturing, your production lines and certain, or you're in the hospital situation, it may not be an option for you, but just having those conversations and opening And one up. other thing about this, if the, if the virus affects your operations and impacts you in a significant way, the people who are going to be impacted the worst and the hardest are the ones least prepared for that impact, right? I was listening to a podcast about, uh, it was a medical podcast about a certain type of cancer, and uh, the, one of the doctors on the podcast said, you know, it's interesting, this is a really awful type of cancer, but the healthier you are when you actually are diagnosed with this cancer, your chances of survival are much, much greater. That's logical and it makes sense. But then he said, but we don't tell anybody that because when they show up to our office and we give them the diagnosis, it's kind of too late. Like, they can't get any healthier. Like, so I need, you need to think about sort of how the impacts of these kind of externalities affect the people least prepared to uh, endure them. All right, great. Well, so we uh, have... That was a little bit of a downer. Can we... Like, yeah, I'm going I'm to go how to make everybody's life easier. So I apologize. We got a bunch of folks in the room that are HR leaders. We have HR leaders listening. What, we're at a technology conference right now. What, what advice can you give folks in the room? And I'm almost looking for a hack. Like, what's a hack they could do to better leverage technology? And I'm not talking about ultimate software. I'm just saying, in general, what are some things they can do to better leverage the technology they already own or that they're looking to buy? Okay, so I'm super passionate about this one just because it, I always followed it myself. It's know what you have. Don't just jump. I always thought of it like if I have a technology, like my CFO would come to me and he'd say, we have to get rid of our 
payroll system. It is not working, whatever, right? Whatever it was was never working the way he wanted it to work. But all of that was purchased long before I ever got there. And it goes back to what I kind of mentioned about, like, talking to your vendor, even about, like, what you have toggled on, toggled off. Um, When I worked on the vendor side, too, we would have, you know, customers come and say, well, your product doesn't do X, Y, Z. Well, it, it does. You just don't have it turned on. So my first and probably biggest hack is if you were not the person that bought it or if you bought it and it's been a long time, whatever it is, make a point. Go back. Talk with your account manager. Sit down. Get your team together. Show them what you have. Find out what do we have toggled on? What do we have toggled off? Why did we make that decision? And if you start thinking of it that way, because to me it was a big deal to fire my vendor. I mean, that was like a breakup. Like that's a, that's a big emotional thing, right? You put all this money and time and effort And then you're just like, you know. So I will say this. In my time in HR, it was very, very rare that I actually did not stay with my vendor, even if it wasn't the one I selected. Because by the time you go back and you see what updates they've made, and and again, it was probably more our misuse or lack of use. So that's my biggest hack is just to know what you have. Steve, before you go, I just want to jump in. So, you know, in my role, I live on the, the – I'm the person you're calling to say, oh, oh, yeah, we'll I got this, this right. <laughs> and that's our biggest challenge is, is how do – and it's a lot of times it can be our fault. I'm not laying blame. But yes. how do you say, like, I own this? And it's surprising a lot of times new executives show up. I know some of you in the room are new to your roles, new to Ultimate. And how, how do we help you show share what we have if, you know – don't throw the baby out with the bathwater expression. How do we help you? So I think the thing is if the company you're working with isn't willing to help you, that's, that's a leading indicator you have a problem. Well, but yeah, I how think do the you company sh- too, though, Bill, needs to sort of reach out. Like if you know you've got a new CHRO of VP of HR, their experience and their comfort level might have been with a competitor. Um, making sure that your provider is, is the one reaching out to you, though, making it easy. Because, again, you're in a new role. You've got all these other things you're thinking about. Your HR tech is probably not at the very top of your list, but it's one thing that's going to come up. So, yeah, if, if, if I saw that my provider was also reaching out to me and saying, like, hey, I know you're new. Whenever you have, let's have a whole day where I'll come to you and we'll just go through it. I'll show you every single thing so that you know what you've got. But I, I can tell you in my career that never happened in almost 20 years. I never had a vendor wow. come to me. And I've worked with pretty much all the ones you can imagine. So Well, you talk about tools. Now with all the tools that exist, we can tell when you're the new leader in this place and we try yeah. and reach out. I mean, if you're doing it the way you're supposed to, you're right. 100% right. But I, I was probably yeah. more in the paper generation too, yeah. so Steve, aging myself. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I agree with the understanding of the uh, tools, technologies, and capabilities that you already possess and may be paying for, uh, certainly. That was definitely a problem sort of in the pre-cloud days, right, uh, where you often buy very, very large suites and, and for one fixed price and use smaller uh, subsets of this capability in those suites. It happens a little bit less now that most of the technologies have moved to the cloud. But uh, I guess I would just offer this just observation from sort of I've been in this space through that era, right, through the on-premise era, and and maybe some of you have as well, um, uh, into the cloud era. And uh, I guess, I don't know if this is a hack, but just an observation that I've, I've had is we were promised lots of cool things with the cloud, and many of them have come to fruition. One of them that I don't think really has is this idea that in cloud-based distributed technologies, it would be easier to swap out providers. I don't know who started pitching that myth. Maybe the, I think we did. Maybe the first company <laughs> that began selling cloud-based software to, to a, at high volumes. Experience shows it's probably not the case. It's probably almost as difficult, if not more difficult, 
to make wholesale changes um, to your core HRMS, benefits, payroll systems, et cetera, even your talent systems to some extent from one cloud provider to another. There are a couple of reasons for that. One of them is often the, the cloud provider, that the old one and the new one, are not super excited about helping you make that transition. The new one would love to help you make it. The old one maybe stops caring, right? And it's a little bit uh, peeved about the entire situation. And the other one is, for most organizations, certainly ones above a few thousand people and up, when you started migrating enterprise systems to the cloud, your IT staffs probably went under, underwent a significant change themselves, often meaning having less people on site, on staff yourselves, who could help you manage through these kinds of processes. In the old days, if you were switching from PeopleSoft over to, say, an enterprise SAP system that was on-premise, that's awful, and no doubt, but you probably had a team, an HR IT team full of developers, and you had the servers, the databases, and everything on-premise. You could figure out or fight your way through it. Much more difficult. The switching costs are, are the idea that switching costs would dramatically decrease in cloud-based uh, implementations. I think is I, I think it's a myth for sure. And the other thing that's super interesting is I, I don't, I'm going to ask this question, Bill, because I, I want to be 100% sure it was shown publicly. Do you share the retention percentage? We do. We make that public for, of your customers. Yes. Or what is it? It's 96%. Okay, that's it's, high. It's 90, it's, so it's 98% controllable. So that takes out. Mergers, right, that's a lot more detail. Bankers, yeah. probably no, no, no. That's fine. I, you gave me a chance to say <laughs> it. I wanted to sell my. Yeah. <laughs> See, now you're on the happy hour, and I'm turning the tables. When I'm asking the questions, the words. This is how it usually goes. But here's the interesting thing, and I don't want to fight and pick on anybody's numbers. Every vendor who shares that number, it's 95 percent. It's 92 percent. It's 93 percent. If they don't share that number, maybe there's a problem. Every single time I've ever seen that number from any vendor, it's mid 90s up which is strange to me. Like, these numbers are so, so high, and often we don't like our systems. We think we, sometimes we even think we hate them. But doesn't that tell you that maybe uh, not, there's not a lot of people changing them out? That's exactly. why it's so highly competitive it's difficult, for it's that. No, but that's why it's really competitive for those companies that are making that switch or even thinking about it because it's a big deal. It's a big deal to do it on both sides, right? Well, and Steve, I think I wanted to highlight, because I was an IT exec for many years, the harder part is, is getting access to data. And it's gotten a lot better in the last three years. But if you go back a period of time, no one wanted to share their data, right? It's in the cloud. It's locked in and providing you access. When we were sharing access to data, we knew that was a sign that you might be leaving. So everybody locked their data down. Now, just in the world we live in, they've had to open that up. But I think to your point about what makes things – like when you were going to go from Oracle to SAP, you had the data right there. Yeah, su super interesting. Uh, uh, can I uh, make another point about data? The other, one of the other things we thought would be remarkable, right, with cloud implementation is our ability to harness data aggregated, right, across tens of hundreds to thousands to maybe tens of thousands of customers. And that's also been slow going, right? That's been slow going. Like I, I was uh, on uh, a product development organization a number of years ago uh, for a company that claimed at the time to uh, process the applications and the hires of like something like one in seven people who got hired in America in the last year we had data for. And so we had just millions and millions and millions of candidate records and millions and millions of hiring transactions and offers and offer declines and just incredible amounts of data, positions, locations, job titles, right? Years of experience, everything. 
And we never did anything with that data. We never derived any value out of that data for our customers. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And the reason was, if I applied to your company, Deb, Boston Private, and I applied to um, Circus Tricks, well, it's obvious I'm going to Circus Tricks <laughs> if I apply to both. And you guys are running the same cloud-based applicant tracking system, which is quite likely you are even today. You didn't want to share my applicant record and my data with him, and vice versa. So that's another thing to really think about is what other benefits from these new models, these new methods of delivery, and these new mechanisms for making data available can we derive from these investments and, and push back on your providers to see what they can do to help you as well. Steve, I think, though, too, that's also it just the, the gives a backup to the fact that it's also not just about the features and functionality because a lot of the tools have very similar features and functionality at the core, but it's the relationship with the people. That's what always kept me when I had, you know, a relationship with the people. And I think the other thing I see a lot of times happen is like if someone doesn't like their account manager, for example, they'll be willing, much more willing to get rid of that technology, right? Instead, I've been the person like, I just don't like my account manager. I need a new one. And then I'd get a new one. And then that person would be really in tune to maybe all of this data that I never get any, any value from. That person might be much more able to tell me, like, okay, here, we do have this that can help answer your questions and your needs. What is your CEO wanting to know from HR that you're not currently able to provide? And then it was great. So I think, too, sometimes in HR we get a little bit like, oh, we've, they've got all this information and they're not telling us anything. So it's that two-way relationship street that I think we have to work on a little bit, too. It's like a fresh experience is what absolutely. you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, I want to move on a little bit about, because, Steve, before we run out of time, you mentioned artificial intelligence earlier. Uh, it, it's such a hot topic. It is, it's almost becoming like a thing now where if you don't talk about AI, you're not in the game. What are your thoughts around artificial intelligence? Yeah, I'll start. Just a quick uh, do the hand thing. Uh, anybody using AI right now in your HR, HCM, talent management functions, using AI? It's a show of no hands, one hand. No hand. How many people, just show of hands, would not raise your hand no matter what question I asked? <laughs> show of hands. No one else as well. All the hands went up. So here's the thing. <laughs> I think it's probably, uh, it's still early days for AI implementation in a widespread uh, level. And if we see that from this room, there's probably 80 people or 70 people in this room. Not so many people thinking we're using this right now. There are some really optimistic estimates about how AI will permeate HCM and HR technology. Uh, a recent survey that I read, and I wrote this down, so I want to get this right. Uh, a future workplace study of 8,000 global HR leaders indicated about 50% of workers would use some form of AI at work in the next several years. Uh, maybe I'll spin it a little bit this way. How many people have like an Amazon Alexa or Google Home device in their house? Oh, I a lot of hands. Got hands for that one. That, to me, is the most interesting avenue, I think, longer term for AI in HR and workplace technology. Now, I know, I know, come back to me on the privacy concerns, and I get it, and I haven't figured all those out yet. But what we've seen in enterprise technology in general for the last 30 years are things get adopted by individuals, by people in their personal lives, in their family lives, their home lives, et cetera, in their communities those things eventually get inside the workplace, right? When tablets first came out, Apple uh, iPads, right? Why did organizations start adopting tablets? The main reason. Because people like you, executives, bought one, right? They were real expensive, right, when they first came out too, but you loved them. And you thought, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. I can sit on the back porch on Saturday and 
you know, read the news, watch sports, check my email, and then you went to work and said, we need these. We have to have these, right? That's just one example, and it happens all the time. Uh, there are 60 million households or so in the United States that have a smart speaker, and 157 million smart speakers, which also is interesting, right? I've got so two we're all them. the smart speakers. I've got yeah. two of them in my house, right? So to me... AI-enabled applications powered by uh, voice and digital, uh, uh, new ways of interfacing, right, beyond just the traditional ways, to me that's the most interesting place where AI is going to go. And we've seen some of this already in the context of uh, virtual digital assistants. Maybe, I know, Trish, you've talked about this some. Maybe you can comment on that a little bit. Yeah, so, I mean, I was, when I was still working in product, I mean, that was one of the things, and I think, I'm sure you're all thinking about this, right? Like, how are you going to incorporate it in? So, again, if everyone in this room basically has these at home, you're comfortable with them, you don't need training on how to use them, but it's when you start incorporating that into your daily life where it seems really normal, it's not a far stretch then to to be comfortable doing that in your workplace. So, if you think about, you know, if you're comfortable at home asking Alexa, a question or for some information about something you need, even if it's make, making a recipe or, you know, where is the nearest this, that, or the other thing, or buying something. I don't know about anybody else. I buy, like, everything off of Amazon by just, like, asking for it. Like, I'm out of dog bones. Alexa, I need dog bones. Oh, would you like the ones you just bought? Yes, I would. Then they show up, right? So if we get to where that is so normal, and this is for all generations, I would add, because, um, like I mentioned, my parents are, you know, almost 80, Um, They have Alexa. They talk to her all the time. And they talk to her like she's right in the conversation. And the reason I think that that's important is because that's how the rest of us are. So, like, we're sitting there watching television, and it was, uh, like, Grand Ole Opry or something was on TV. And and my mom was like, well, that's Tammy Wynette, Don. And he goes, I thought she was dead. And she's (laughs) like, Alexa, is Tammy Wynette dead? And, of course, Alexa's like, no, you know, here, uh, Tammy Wynette was born and blah, blah, blah. And then my dad was just like, went on with, oh, well, that's amazing. She's not dead. And it was like, it was like they didn't even notice that they added Alexa into that whole conversation. It wasn't like a separate, like, let me go look it up, you know, like we might have done even just a couple years ago. Like, Alexa is part of their life. So I think the same holds true at work. So if you could envision, and this is just maybe one example, like, if I'm sitting there and I'm interviewing you, right, and you're asking me, like, oh, do you have a sabbatical program? I'm the, I'm the manager, I, I, don't, I don't know, and I might be like, whatever, the, whatever its name is, right? Say Alexa. Alexa, do we have a sabbatical program? And then, of course, she'll be like, yes, we do, and here's the information, and then it would just be part of our conversation. It wouldn't be like, maybe now, well, let me go look in our policy manual, and, or let me call my HR person and see what we have. So I think it's going to be like that. I think it'll be much more smooth. I think... And then take it to the next step. So you'll say to Alexa or the workplace version of Alexa and say, Alexa, do I have uh, any PTO uh, hours left? And Alexa will say, oh, yeah, you've got 16 hours. Uh, would you like me to request some PTO? She'll ask you. And you'll say, oh, yeah, for next Wednesday. And she'll say, okay, request that. Oh, would you like me to reschedule your meeting? Right? Would you like me to let Bill know that you'll be out of the office? Because we, we know we need to let him know, Right. I, I think those are the things that are going to start to no, happen. No, but I think it's going to go and past that. It'll recommend. It might be that next step of saying, like, well, Steve, I notice you haven't taken PTO in I know, I'm due. 14 months, you and you have 900 hours. Game. Well, he's what, not traveling as much coming right, up, so he's, he's, gonna, he's stressing out about it, believe me. No, but you see what I'm saying? Like, I think we're talking about, like, right now, 
asking it and it's going to give information, but I think where the future is, it's going to then notice, recommend, and bring it to you. Where it's like, well, Steve, you haven't had vacation that you've taken. Would you like me to go ahead? Oh, and by the way, we're connected with Travelocity. Here is a trip to London for X number of dollars. Would you like me to book that? Like, that's my dream. And the AI knows from experience and (laughs) analyzing history across your customer and across all the other customers, right? Yeah. What are the strings of <laughs> transactions that tend to go together, right? Uh, can I give one more little example? Yeah, one more. So I'm used to the podcast where I can just, just filibuster endlessly. I like how you look at me and then you just go. Another five minutes. Because <laughs> I really don't know if people are tuning out on now the podcast. You know my pain. I'm assuming they, they aren't. But uh, um, anyone seen any of those robots roaming around retail, like Lowe's or Home Depot, the robots that are to help you? You know what the coolest thing about those robots, those customer assistance robots are? When they figure something out, when the AI figures something out, when the AI and those robots learn something new, you know how long it takes all the other robots to learn that new thing? A second. It's just done. They all know it because that information, that knowledge, that learning goes up into the big cloud robot database in the sky where now they all have access to it. And I think that can be some of the power of these kinds of artificial intelligence technologies for work and workplace. If that AI tool that you're using to help people navigate through their work lives and make these decisions around time off and scheduling and meetings and, and approving things or not approving things, et cetera, et cetera, that insight, that information, that learning can instantly be available to everybody in the organization, and that's incredibly powerful. That'll be powerful, right, to your point of especially larger organizations getting that information out there. So I'm going to segue into the next question around recruiting, which may leverage some of the AI we just talked about, but it's 2020. What do you see the future of recruiting? And really, with, there's such a demand to get great talent you talked about training and uplearning and things like that. How do, how do you see getting great resources to join your team changing moving forward? So one thing, it was a little bit related to the upskilling and, and reskilling that Steve was talking about. And I, I will admit, I have not seen anyone doing this yet. They could be, but, I've, but I'm just thinking ahead of like, if I'm an HR leader, what would I be doing? Um, I would be looking at, are there people, because you can have this data, right? How many of your applicants apply for your jobs and are not a match yet? Maybe they're an 80% match, and there are two or three skills. If they had only had it, they would have skyrocketed up to be the person, potentially. Are there ways that we can be thinking about training them before they're even hired? So whether that's video training, and I'm thinking, too, like, so if you were to go to Ultimate's website and look under resources, you have blogs, you have videos, you have all sorts of things. So it's sort of like that same thing. Could there be content created specifically to help people or even to direct them to the Khan Academy? Like, well, you you weren't a good fit for this job, but here's a link to Khan Academy where you might be able to brush up on some skills that would have gotten you the interview. See, I don't where know. I thought so you were going was, I've now hired you. I realize you're on only an 80% fit, no. but on onboarding, <laughs> Here's con. We expect you, you to could, do this before you arrive. You could do that or too. Yeah. yeah. No, but I'm thinking. I'm just. I'm trying to think. Like, if you're really trying to get people in, what about all the people that never make the cut? Could you potentially identify some of them? And again, if you even hired one or two people like that a year, that might be worth the entire effort of. 
putting some content together to, or, or again, links or whatever to get them. So you're not settling. Job. You're essentially, you're encouraging them and motivating them to go out and get the skills Absolutely. they need. Absolutely. Right. Because we've talked about creating communities and lots of companies do this for, you know, b before people are even technically candidates, right? They have like, you know, you can come join, like if you're at Coca-Cola, you, you know, you can join a community of people that are interested in Coca-Cola in working with Coca-Cola and they'll tell you like, oh, this is what it's like to work at Coca-Cola. But they're not necessarily training you to work at Coca-Cola. So I don't know. I would see, I think that's where it could be going. It could be going to that next step. Of I've got one. I'm, I'm dying for one. I've got one. And this is happening already, and maybe some of your organizations already implemented these kinds of policies, which is the reduction or the elimination of sort of artificial um, qualification experience barriers, things like maybe a bachelor's degree, things like maybe three to five years experience in the exact same industry that we're in now, doing the very same job that we're going to try to hire you to do right now, things like that, or grade point averages maybe for new hires, et cetera. I'm not telling you or advocating necessarily, I don't know your businesses, that you should just get rid of all of those kinds of job uh, requirements that you may have on jobs, but there is more of a tendency for organizations to look past those because what we found over time is, uh, and our friends at Google, right, did the most famous study on this, that it was not really at all predictive of success on the job. Uh, by themselves, right, these kinds of um, uh, barriers or these qualifications. As the technology improves on the assessment side and as um, things like psychometric uh, assessments get better and um, we're able to better identify the skills people have, uh, we don't really need to worry about the degree they may or may not have, the grade point average that they may or may not have, or the last three jobs that they had. The, the best story I ever heard about this is a few years old, but I'll tell it again. It was... Uh, retail, uh, a theaters, theater group, and they have to hire lots of people to work in the front of the theater, right? The popcorn sellers, the ticket takers, et cetera, et cetera. Incredibly high turnover in those jobs, right, as you'd expect. And it took them a while, but they finally figured out what are the people who do the best at these jobs. If we could just say one thing, we could identify one thing about them that's most in common. It's not necessarily causation, but it's a strong correlation. And the thing that they found was they basically were responsible, they showed a tendency to basically show up on time. If they told you that they would be there, they would. If they told you they would complete some task, they would. They were responsible. That was it. And they figured out a way through an assessment provider to, to try to assess for that. And they stopped looking at all the other things, what their job was. Did they have a degree? Had they just got out of jail? They stopped looking at all that stuff and focused only on this responsibility metric. And you know, whatever the numbers were, but all the things that they wanted to happen improved, right? Retention improved, uh, turnover was reduced, customer service evaluation scores generally went up, and revenue in the, in the theaters per theater uh, went up as well. I'm not saying it's that all that simple. This wasn't simple. It took them a couple years to figure this out. But if they continued on the way that they were going, right, looking at old-fashioned resumes to try to figure out who to hire, they never would have stumbled upon that. All right, well, we have just a couple minutes. I just, anybody have one question they want to ask? the group up here for the radio listeners there are no questions there's no questions we didn't give them much time an audience into submission <laughs> all right well then i'll ask one more question so we talked a little bit about this year in recruiting but now let's really think about into the future to me i think like if we can predict three years out like what do you think is going to be different in the world of hr three to five years from now you know what i think um Playing off of what he was talking about a little bit, I think when I when I think back to even my own role, I always I knew really young I met my dad's HR manager when I was still I don't know a teenager, 
and I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to Sounds be like, like the her. worst field trip ever. No, it's like the best. Look at my life. It's good. It worked out for you. <laughs> it's worked out. No, but I think um, when you think about the skills that I went and I got an education and all the steps right that you take, and and I have teenagers now and trying to prepare them for the jobs of the future, whether that's in HR or the other jobs of the future, it's that they don't know. And so even when I made that move from, you know, I'd been in HR for almost 20 years, and to, to move over into HR technology being an analyst in the space, it was, honestly, it was only because, initially, because I had done so many implementations. I had bought technology so many times, by chance, that I was, like, interested in it, right? So I didn't prepare for it specifically. So I think for HR professionals in three years, five years, it's to not think of it like it's this movement up. It's you can move into something completely different, right? Um, I think that that's where we're going to see our teams moving as well, right? If you have team members, they really might not still be in HR, or there might be this HR job that isn't even created yet. I remember having this conversation with my dad when I started doing some social media and things like that. And again, it was all through work. Um, he's like, "What are you doing? Why are you, you know, why are you writing blogs at three in the morning? Why are you?" Well, because I still had a day job, but. I said, because I'm preparing for the job that I don't know that exists yet. And that's what happened, right? And so that's just one person doing it. And so I think, yes, everyone in this room, your job could look completely different in three years in ways that you can't even predict. So back to Steve's point about having skills that maybe aren't the ones that we always thought. Maybe it's not having a certain degree or a certain you know, years of experience. It's do you have those, those other skills and that, that ability to just sort of leap without being completely paralyzed and afraid into something completely different. Um, and the last thing I'll, I'll give an example is, I, I, I think, too, I'm a big believer in, like, putting things out into the world, like saying it, manifesting it. And it makes it real? And it makes it real. All right. I will raise my hand. So recently I said, you know what, I've done HR for so long. Like, I focus on HR, and I study and research HR, and I talk to HR professionals. I'm like, I just feel like I just need a project, something different. I don't know. What if I did something different? What if I... You know, I was telling our business manager, I'm like, what if I just became a sculptor on the side? And, like, I mean, like, made money at it. Like, and she's like, do you sculpt? I'm like, no, I've never done it. But, like, in my head, I'm thinking, like, but what if, right? What is this job out there that I've not done? And literally the next day, someone called me with a big supply chain project. Now, I've worked in manufacturing. I know about supply chain. I know enough to be dangerous with supply chain. I know there's I've, no supply chain happy hour. That right? I know. Well, there might be. Uh, no, but my point is... By putting it out in the world that you're open to things, I don't know, I just feel like it kind of comes back. And so now I'm going to do a supply chain project, and I'm going to learn a ton. I don't know. Maybe there will be a podcast on supply chain. You'll wait and see. But first mover. First mover to that's that. Right. That's right. right. No, but the point, the point being, I think that, yes, for, if I'm an HR professional, I'm thinking of, and it may be in your own organization, what else are you open to that you've literally never thought about? That might be the future of your job in HR. Being open-minded. And Steve, what do you I think? I know we're at time. I have one more quick story. I love telling stories. HR of the future will be completely about having the best data, the most data, the most accurate data, learning the most from that data. But that's only going to take you so far. It's what are we going to do with this data, right? How are we going to use that data to make the employee experience better and make better employment and organizational outcomes? Here's the story. Trucking company, nationwide trucking and delivery company, installed kind of the Internet of Thingsy technology, right, on the trucks. Not just GPS, but things like that monitored the steering, the braking, the, the speed, the acceleration, deceleration, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They wanted to, because the worst thing that happens to a trucking company, delivery company, the worst thing that can happen is Running out an of gas. accident. 
An accident no. in the trucks. Awful, awful, Running awful. out of gas is really bad, Steve. That's not the worst. I said, what's the worst? An accident. People get hurt, liability. Awful, awful, awful. So they monitor all that data to try to make sure, you know, to evaluate drivers, essentially, right? And evaluate routes and make routes better, blah, blah, blah. One trucker who had a great record, exemplary record, good performance reviews, no problems with the data, good employee, been there quite a while. All of a sudden, his performance started to deteriorate. Breaking too hard, turning too fast, missing stops, whatever, right? The, it was clear in the data and it stood out, right? The logical reaction would be put the guy on a performance plan, maybe get rid of him, maybe, you know, put him on, suspend him, whatever, right? If it, depending on how egregious it was. But what this company was able to do was they combined some of that data with some of the human capital data that they had because they were trying to find patterns, right? Also, and it made no sense. So the, there was one smart person who saw this data and said, this doesn't really make sense. Turns out, Right before this driver's performance began to deteriorate, as evidenced in all the data that we gleaned from the trucks, he had entered a life event in the benefits system, off-cycle life event. And guess what that life event was? Triplets. <laughs> His wife had triplets. Awesome. Great for him, right? Maybe they sent him a bouquet, a little prize, maybe bond, savings bond. Are those things still around? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. They were able to then bring the guy in, sit down with the manager, work with HR, talk to him. They understood the problem, right? And the data enabled them to understand that problem and attempt to approach you know, solutions that would make sense for the driver and for the organization and certainly for the, his family, right? So to me, that's my story. The, one of the, still the best one I've ever heard about taking data and applying it to human capital decisions in a ways we never would have been able to in the past. All right, I'm that's done. a great way to close. That was excellent. Thanks for the story, Trish, Steve. Thanks for the time and the insight. And uh, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show, your source for information and conversation on work, the workplace, technology, and more. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net.